The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. And just yesterday we learned that this year, hottest year in history, nobody's that shocked because last year was the hottest year in history. The year before that was the hottest, and the hottest decade. And the year before that was the second hottest decade. And the year before, the years before, ten years before that was the third hottest decade in history. And that is accurate, decade for decade. That was the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, speaking this week in Dubai at COP28, an international gathering of politicians, business leaders and environmentalists. Although his message is accepted wisdom by many in the scientific world, controversy around how to phase out fossil fuels and who holds the lion's share of blame for polluting the world is dominating proceedings. Stay tuned for this week's Views Room to find out more. Welcome back to the Views Room, a podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. World leaders, environmentalists and investors have descended on Dubai for the world's annual climate conference, COP28. The venue has drawn criticism given its role as a large oil producer and the bounty it is currently enjoying thanks to elevated oil prices. So what commitments are likely to come out of this gathering? What controversy has already been abound? Here to talk me through this is George Hay, EMEA editor of Breaking Views, who is beaming in from Dubai. George, you're very welcome. Hi there. So, George, I I guess the best way to start this is, I mean, the venue itself is is controversial in in itself. So can you talk me through about what what is the focus? What is the mood like at COP28, given given who is hosting it? Well, I mean, I suppose you touched on it um, at the start there. I mean, they I mean, in a way, none of this is particularly surprising as soon as they announced you know, ages ago that it was going to be in the UAE. It was, <laughs> everyone immediately thought, well, hang on, they're a massive oil producer. And not only are they a massive oil producer, they've got plans to, they've got very well, you know, publicized public plans to increase their oil production from, you know, around a three million barrels a day up to five million barrels a day um, later in the decade. And, you know, it you know it, it's kind of almost like hiding in plain sight the, the discordancy between that and the need to shrink um emissions and therefore oil production and um so that was the kind of backdrop and against against that backdrop i don't know you you would have thought um i don't know <laughs> you, you would have thought it was kind of almost all out there um but uh you know there's been two stories in particular which have broken while we've been here which seem to have kind of um through the 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 ether to kind of go back home and be, be very kind of you know, um very kind of high profile back home as well and one of those was the idea the bbc story um um just before which is in the in the opening days or just before uh that um the idea that um uae was using uh the using its pulpit as cop host to also kind of do oil deals um, on the sly or kind of have meetings about that. Um, and then um, then the other day, 
the Guardian story basically saying that um, just before in a kind of um, webcast um, or um, Teams meeting or Zoom meeting before um, or the uh, or COP28 started, Sultan uh, Al Jaba, who's the um, president of uh, the guy in charge of COP, uh, he kind of said that, you know, that it was reported as basically him saying there's no science behind um, the phase out of um, fossil fuels. There's no science basically behind why you would need to do that. And, you know, <laughs> uh, so that kind of, um, that's, you know, people are already ready to be sceptical and those kind of things, you know, put their scepticism on stilts, if you will. Um, but I suppose what, what what's kind of interesting is, like, it's not, you know, there, 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 are, there are kind of some interesting nuances here, because you would have thought, given that Sultan al-Jabba, who is the head of COP28, uh, he is also, you know, the head of ADNOC, which is Abu Dhabi's national oil company. In a way, you know, everything is, it, it, it was quite an interesting choice for them to select him as the, as the head of COP, because in a way, all that scepticism that we were talking about is, is kind of, you know, um, flows through him basically because he he he's, he's it's kind of personified in him in a way um but it's quite interesting that if you talk to some of the kind of senior climate people as i have um you know not not people who are apologists for the oil sector or anything like that um it's not like honestly in a sense you would have thought that they would think that he's like you know public enemy number one and and they don't really think that because um if you if you look in a kind of broader sense um, at what some of his pledges are, uh, it's not as simple as just he's just going, let's all just pump as much oil as possible and not care about our our responsibilities as um, COP28 host. He's he's also saying, you know, we need to treble renewables by uh, the world as a whole, these treble renewables by um, 2030, and the double energy efficiency. And the really interesting thing is that um, if you look at respected bodies like the International Energy Agency, they they've said just that that pledge in itself, if it makes it way, its way into the final text, that and and crucially if it if it actually happens, if, if those two things were to happen by 2030, then that by itself would automatically reduce oil demand like um, quite quite significantly by about by about 25 percent. And um, just because if you have a lot of kind of clean energy, you don't need to, um, and, you know, you don't need to use so much oil. And um, so you, it is important to see what he was, where he's coming from in that context as well. And obviously, everything will depend on what actually get, ends up getting agreed, and it may get watered down. Who knows? But um, I mean, it's important. I mean, it's important to clarify that you know. His tone on that um, call, which was basically talking to um, uh, Mary Robinson, uh, the uh, former Irish president, I think, um, uh, you know, his tone on her to, to her was kind of completely inappropriate and rude and completely self-defeating. But it's important also to just understand that nuance when you're thinking about it. Well, I think that what I, I, I watched the interaction and I, and I thought, 
I agree with you, uh, certainly his tone, and it, it seemed very testy on, on both sides. But um, yes, I thought... A, a man under pressure. <laughs> a man under pressure. But I thought basically what he was talking about was the sort of the socioeconomic damage that will be done right. by yes, very drastically point. reducing the output of oil at this point. And her view is obviously we're at a crisis. And yes. I think back, George, to you were obviously in Glasgow where... It seemed like there was a there was a much bigger, you know, consensus of like ch radical change needed to happen. But yeah, companies yeah. watch this this gathering very closely as to, I suppose, what's acceptable for them and what yeah. message do you think they're getting th from what you've seen so far? Well, well, I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, Glasgow, the main difference between COP26 and Glasgow and now is there was a um, the war in Ukraine and uh, a massive energy security crisis and high energy prices. Um, you know that has it's well documented that that has kind of changed the mood and that that is kind of partly reflected here. The you know, the, amb the ambition of the private sector is, is you know not really what it was and it's probably slightly overinflated at COP26. But um, you actually just just to go back to your um, previous point, there was a it's a very important point um, you made about. I mean, a, a kind interpretation of what Sultan Al Jabra was trying to say on that call, um, uh, or put it this way, how he might might instead of more, more kind of profitably uh, uh, put it, is that basically, again, if you look at the IEA numbers, um, they don't actually. He was he needed to be objecting to the idea that you needed to phase out fossil fuels in their entirety by 2050, and the point he was making, extremely badly, but the point. He was making was that you know or he or he could have made is that even in the iea projection which get which restrict global warming to um 1.5 degrees and are seen as very kind of stretching and difficult to achieve um there's there is still oil and gas by 2050 you know there, there is still some because basically it's being used for petrochemicals and it's okay that it's being used for petrochemicals because when you make those kind of products you don't burn then burn the oil like you do in a car. So, so and so there's less of a problem for climate change point point of view. So, you know, in a very narrow sense, you know, he 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 there was some justification for him to object to the idea of the idea that you would completely phase out oil and uh, oil and gas by 2050 because on some of the the the, the really more ambitious net zero scenarios you don't have to. And so he had a point there, but the way he made that point was was completely hopeless. And more to the point, uh, you know, if you think about the, the kind of uh, way that you should be conducting yourself, and uh, as a cop, you know, the, the head of COP twenty eight, um, that doesn't really work at all. So, <laughs> so, but it 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 it's all kind of it's, it's quite it's quite nuanced. But like you know. The funny thing is, even though he's seems to be public enemy number one in the uh, eyes of the international media, um, if he there's a lot of people on the ground here saying that if he manages to get the troubling renewables, doubling of energy efficiency into the final text, and there's some kind of relatively non-rubbish uh, language in the final text about phasing out or even phasing down um, fossil fuels, including oil and gas. That would still be a step. That'd be quite a tangible step step forward from where we were before. So it's just it, saying saying all that. I'm not trying to kind of defend him, but it's it's like 
it will slightly depend on what we see at the end of this process. And you mentioned, George, the pledges that that obviously that have been made um, through this conference. I mean, how how ambitious are they just, you know, you talked about the renewables and how much, you know, mm. how much renewable investment needs to, to, to increase. And, and you wrote a piece as well before COP28 about the need to, you know, to obviously to make some sort of gesture about reducing fossil fuels and not just it being about carbon capture and these technologies that really haven't kind of come to mm. the fore yet. Yeah, well, I mean, there is, um, I did a podcast with uh, Adair Turner, the head of the Energy Transitions Commission last week, and that he, he was very clear that, you know, there was a, there was a, a role for carbon capture, um, a, you know, a, a certain amount um, is basically uh, permitted and acceptable, but you shouldn't, it, it, it is really there for the kind of stuff, the hard to abate sectors like cement and things where it's quite difficult to decarbonize them. It should, it should definitely not be seen as a way for oil companies to, um, you know, have an easy life and keep on pumping. Um, so there is that. I mean, the, the other thing that is probably noticeable here and, and interesting, uh, and I wrote a piece on it on Friday, is um, this whole issue of climate finance trying to get yeah. um, finance to the developing world from the developed world, which, which, which is obviously richer. And so this is, this is a huge problem because it's like the developing world is like 30, over 30% of emissions. So if you just decarbonize the developed world and don't give a stuff about the um, developing world and nothing, and you know, don't give them any money to help, then they won't do it and the planet will still fry anyway. <laughs> So it, it's, a, it's a very pressing problem, very important to sort it out. Um, you were into that kind of context. UAE did something quite interesting because they announced this $30 billion fund on Friday. Um, and what this kind of is, I mean, it, again, it, <laughs> it, it requires a bit of nuance to unpack it. Because um, on, the, on the face of it, you say, oh, great, $30 billion, um, you know, if that was 30 billion of, you know, below market rate loans or even some sort of grants that they were just giving to the developing world and, you know, the private sector the sector was stacking on top of that, um, using that as some kind of first loss or concessional finance, um, then you could have got hundreds, you know, hundreds of billions um, of uh, finance to help the developing world decarbonize. And that's kind of, in, you know, the orders of magnitude that's needed. Like as it happens, if you you know if you scratch these surface a little bit, is that 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 kind of concessional cheaper finance is only five billion of the thirty billion, and um, they it, it, the, the worst case scenario is that or the negative scenario would be the the idea that they they're allowed to invest in developed as well as developing markets. So the the slice of hand would be that they just end up investing the majority of that. In, in green transitions, which are happening anyway, um, but, you know, a lot of the big, um, big private sector players like Brookfield are already they already have like multi-billion dollar funds that are doing that. So if all you're doing is just UA investing in a commercial way in developed world projects, that's no <laughs> that's no big deal at all. But um, there was a kind of element of it which is at least kind of vaguely addressing the problem and. Um, 
and that is kind of positive and you can you can probably applaud them for that absolutely i mean the other thing that i thought was was interesting about um algebra's you know comments was this idea that he made to, to mary robinson about her coming from a developed country that could lead the way and i assumed i took right. that to mean about cutting i suppose their own how much they use and that he that his company and the middle east in general are merely just you know producing enough that people want right. as in it's a yeah. supply and demand issue what yeah, well, what what yeah. what is the kind of thinking around those those two things? Because they're obviously very different. Well, I think I mean I think what he's getting at there, which is actually is, is a bigger question, because like the um, what you're posing there is actually one of the absolutely essential things that this COP and previous COPs have attended, and it always boils down to the developed world saying um, the de developing world, oh. Oh, oh dear, you are where all the growth in emissions, you're, you're the ones whose economies are going fast, you're the ones where the growth of emissions is going to be over the next 20, 30 years, and therefore you really need to do something about it, because otherwise um, we will all cry. And um, uh, the developing world, not unreasonably, turn around and say, well, you know, you had your party in the 19th, 20th century, um, and our economies are growing now, we've got to, we've got to you know, have energy that allows it to happen. And so the upshot is always you have to decarbonize quicker than we do. And also, comes back to what we were just talking about, you need to, um, if you want us to decarbonize any quicker or or at all, you need to give us some money to do that. And that's, that is the absolute baseline central point that is always underpins every top. And I imagine it will underpin this one as well. Um, and I hope they don't um, make a complete hash of it. <laughs> and George, given that you have attended a number of these COPs now, this one obviously isn't finished yet, but how would you kind of rate this in terms of success so far? As in there was, a, I suppose, an awful lot riding on the fact that that this country was was hosting it to start off with. Mm. Uh, maybe the bar was higher than than normal. Mm. But yeah, how how do you think this is? How do you think this but, has yeah. gone down? I would say the bar is kind of lower than normal. It depends which depends what bar and what relationship to anything good we're talking about. But I suppose what what um what's definitely different is um the controversy and you know uh the over the hosts and the intention of tensions of the hosts. And it's you know, it is too early to say whether it's um going to be a success or not. I think um, what I probably would say is that you know, there is this mantra amongst some of the kind of more considered thinkers on climate change is that, you know, we, you do need to go to where the emissions are and you need, do need to kind of help decarbonise them. And if you just only, like it goes back to what I was saying, if you only decarbonise the developed world, it's not really going to help. Um, uh, and I think, you know, I, th I think generally people have, there is a lot of kind of, despite, despite all the kind of bad press that the um, UAE is getting, there is a kind of recognition that they are, and in, including Sultan al-Jabba, are serious. Or there is a perception that he is serious about trying to achieve something at this cop, because it will, you know, it will be on him if, if, if they don't. But like. Um, 
but it's just uh, arguably you it would have been very difficult to have this process and there not to be all these bumps in the road given the fact that this guy literally controls one of the biggest oil companies on the planet and at the same time he's running around trying to get people to reduce their emissions. Well, fascinating stuff, George, and we will be following your coverage from from COP28. And thanks so much for uh, spending the time with us. Pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on BreakingViews.com and on X, where our handle is at BreakingViews. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of U.S. politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.